Welcome to 050. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. I love having guests on 050 who are working to eliminate waste before it needs recycling. And today's guest is doing just that. Takeaway and home delivery food services have exploded in recent years, but this has come at a cost with 2.5 billion disposable cups and half a billion disposable plastic boxes used every year by the UK food on-the-go sector. And on her quest to eliminate waste, Safia Qureshi founded Club Zero, which aims to make on-the-go food and beverages more sustainable, working together towards the ultimate goal of zero waste. It's a massive challenge, and I'm delighted to welcome Safia to the show, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Bruce. Long time in the making. Great to have you here, Safia. So reuse is just right up there in the waste hierarchy. And it's a challenge because we've got such a linear economy and linearity is steeped in our way of consuming and producing. Could you explain to the listeners what you're doing with Club Zero and maybe some of the core challenges to uh, getting your business off the ground? An architect by background, right? I build buildings, I put together lots of complex projects, I work across public and private sector. And so coming into this from from an outsider perspective, it sort of seemed very, very, very straightforward to me. I mean, we if you think about it, buildings are incredibly highly complex structures. We, we compose them of thousands, if not millions of parts, and then they become one entity. So for me, looking outside into this industry was really fascinating because I just thought this is a horribly, horribly complex project, this whole recycling infrastructure. It's it, you're moving things invariably across continents and trying to separate them and wash them and bale them and broker them. And there's there's this myriad of exchanges in different hands and different ownerships and different stakeholders involved in this entire linear process, which I just thought is very odd. So kind of came at it in a way where I was just thinking, how do we order this in a somewhat more coherent way? remove half the people that are in this current landscape because they're not needed and create better products that can be circulated and reused multiple times versus trying to separate them, trying to bail them, trying to export them, trying to mechanically break them down. It just seems so odd. And then conceptually, the culture around using something for 20 seconds, such as a coffee cup, and the arrogance that goes around that is just bizarre. So that's my perspective on the entire system. So I am a systems thinker. And so coming from the outside was very refreshing, I guess. I could see a very complex market around food and beverage and how it's distributed. This is fundamentally a distribution problem. Of course, there is a concept for convenience that needed to be factored in. And so Club Zero was born with this rationale of how do we give people better products that can be returned and can come back into a system where they can be washed, packed and redistributed. And so you have a much tighter supply chain. You cut out a lot of middlemen and you have an opportunity for creating value, which goes beyond just economics. So it's you're saving CO2, energy, waste, paper, plastics. And we've done the life cycle assessments around Club Zero. We know that we use 
half the amount of carbon, right, to single use. So it's kind of like a fantastic opportunity, really, because as you've cited in your introduction, people are spending a lot of time home. The delivery space has exploded over the last year. You've seen 10-minute deliveries, five-minute deliveries. I mean, it's just, Jesus, like how many dark stores are there around town now? I'd be amazed to see what kind of footprint they all gather up. So we're in an industry where delivery is already really well established and we're essentially just implementing new products into a fabric that exists and halving the CO2 across food and beverage distribution. The two things there is that lower impact CO2 and the supply chain, because the waste industry, the recycling industry, sort of has very long and very complicated supply chains, often unnecessarily where we're sort of collecting a single-use product that's only been used for 20 seconds, as you say. Then it gets mixed with a load of other materials. Then it gets taken somewhere. Then it gets to separate. And then it gets shipped halfway around the world to be recycled or finished or whatever. And then it gets brought back again. <laughs> and actually, if you looked at your products, the, you know, there's more material and more embedded carbon in the product. But they're going on this loop of a few miles you know, by electric vehicle, by cargo bike. There's obviously an impact of washing it each time around and making sure it's hygienic. But it's almost sort of looking at the, the sort of, and I guess you say with the life cycle analysis, is actually looking at it with a fresh set of eyes and going, it's fine to have something which is resilient and robust and at a higher embedded carbon in it if it's going to last a long time and go round and round, which is perhaps the architect in you. And we don't make buildings that are only going to last um, 18 months. We build them that are going to last years. No. And, you know, the construction space has its own issues around carbon and how much it consumes which is a, a, another big thing that is currently being debated and tackled. But this for me was actually super easy. This is an operational issue. It isn't, oh, how, how do we bring down the impact of steel or concrete? <laughs> it's, well, we just need to create a tighter supply chain and make it less onerous on mechanical processes and reduce the amount that it's distributed so your operational CO2 is much lower. That's an operational issue. It's got nothing to do with, do we have this material or that material? So yeah, you're right. I saw a very simple way to just cut out the noise and build something much more simpler. And for the listeners, how does the service actually work? So do they choose or if they walk into a cafe or get takeaway, is it sort of something that, that happens automatically? Well, they get given the option. So we see ourselves very much as a streamlined system because we're not in the in the bucket of reusable packaging where you buy something and you, you bring in that packaging and you ask for it to be refilled. That's very clunky. And the percentage of people actually doing that is, is almost 2 to 4%. So it's low because it's not convenient. What we provide is a reuse system. So we work with restaurants, cafes, online food delivery platforms such as Just Eat, major nationals such as Nestle, and we embed the system into their operations. So when you walk into a restaurant or cafe, you'll get given the option, would you like a reusable with that? Yes or no. And based on that, you then take away. So it does require you to be registered with Club Zero. You have to be a digital, you know, someone digital. So it's not a manual deposit process because a couple of things that we found through the, the way that we've designed this is we've realized deposits are incredibly un, sort of uninclusive and they create a barrier for a lot of people to want to do the right thing. So it's more expensive 
And with reusable packaging, you typically have them made for a number of reuses. And so quality means that you're going to invest more than one pound into a product invariably. So your deposits can't be so meaningless to an individual. So hence, when you go into a custom as a customer, you have to be registered with Club Zero. Right now, that's an app. So if you download Club Zero, you can see all the locations and mapped out. You can find about 25 locations in London. We're at UCL. We're also at small cafes and restaurants across King's Cross. Um, and we're growing rapidly month on month. So there'll be more locations offering reusable packaging. And it's it's an option, right? It's, it's giving customers a choice, basically. And then when they've taken the coffee or their food, it's been delivered, or if they're on campus at UCL, it's consumed, and then it, how does it get back into the system? So we provide the whole system. We have yellow boxes, which are drop points, and we design them so that they can sit either within these cafe environments or they can be invariably outdoors next to bins. So it creates a convenient network for someone to just drop off their packaging into. We collect those regularly, and they get all the product gets brought back to our central depot where it's scanned and washed and sanitized to ISO certification and then it's packed and sent back out. So we, this is a system, basically an, an infrastructure. So it's, you know, the whole sort of architectural hat is architects love the sexy buildings, but they quite often forget the glue that connects everything. And that's infrastructure. And so uh, this is an infrastructure play. It's basically deploying something that works systemically across a city. Very interesting from a system perspective. So I'm going to try and describe the uh, linear system, which is you buy a paper or a polystyrene piece of packaging with some food or drink in it, then it's consumed, and then you put it into a street bin, which is the current linear infrastructure, which invariably is overflowing, and then it might end up blowing down the street. (laughs) Then we have litter pickers, also part of the linear infrastructure so we sort of have built cities around single-use linear packaging in some ways with litter pickers and street sweepers and bins on the street do you think we need to from your reusable knowledge but also from an architect do you think we're going to have to redesign cities our shops and cafes fit for purpose for reusables or is there some thinking that planning and architects need to give to reusables Good question. Um, do ask ourselves this, and we do we do work with council. So Camden Council is one of our boroughs that we work closely with. We have a partnership with them. We actually served Club Zero across their COP events last week. Actually, sorry, this week. <laughs> so the collaboration is there because public infrastructure needs to adapt to changing times. We're currently consuming far more than we can even recycle, not that recycling is essentially working, unfortunately, which it's not. Contamination is a large part of the reason why. Nobody really likes soggy, wet waste content. Everybody likes dry waste content. And that's very rare if you're if you're eating or drinking out of packaging. And so the councils are aware that they have a fundamental crisis around that and they want to reduce the amount that waste is generated. They also recognize that reuse is going to bring certain different opportunities. So it might become a a network for, you know, washing facilities across the city, just changing the way that we can make sustainable cities as we go forward. What does that look like? So we ask ourselves this question a lot. Like I said, this is an option. We're not saying 100% of packaging is going to be reusable. It wouldn't work that way. Reuse works for large format packaging. It doesn't work for 
I don't know, um, like small sauce sachets. It doesn't really work very well for small format products. Those could be other materials. And so these services will have to remain, but in tandem with bolted reuse return systems. So we're not saying that we're going to go ahead and say in 10 years time, our cities won't have any sort of recycling infrastructure. It exists for specific types of products. It's just going to become clearer and clearer to the consumer and to councils and governments what those products are. And presumably we can start to design more innovative packaging and packaging with more features if it's reusable because we can design in more value. Is that something you foresee? When you say design in value, for us, that means having products that are reusable packaging that's designed for specifically a minimum use rate. So we design everything for 250 uses. That's that's our benchmark. And if it fails that, it gets uh, sent back to the factory. So uh, our specifications and everything is set for 250 uses. Now, that's what we do for specific packaging lines. Now, that doesn't mean that that's applicable to every single reusable packaging out there. This is very much dependent on the material used, on how many life cycles it realistically can have before it looks degraded and unattractive to reuse. So there's a lot of complexities in how you develop fit-for-purpose reusable packaging to then deploy in the in the, ma- in the market. But um, what was your question again? <laughs> I think I lost it. I suppose what I meant is if you're making a linear paper cup, for example, you're trying to get the minimum, and we see it all the time, it's a thin paper cup, but then there's an additional cardboard sleeve so it doesn't burn you. You have the luxury of being able to design a product that is not just fit for use, it's actually nice to use, I guess is the point I was making. And because you know you're going to get 250 uses out of it, you can therefore say, actually, we're going to make the product nicer, we're going to have more print on it, we're going to have it, you know, so it's a, a better to use product. Exactly. It's more premium. That's how you sell it in the market. It's the same sort of... You summarized it brilliantly after instead of more premium. <laughs> more premium. I mean, premium is where it starts because if you look at, and we see ourselves within the alternatives, you know, movement. And what I mean by alternatives movement is we've seen alternatives to meat and which brands represented that and still do and are doing even more work in that area. We've seen the alternatives to dairy and we are the alternative to single-use disposable packaging or landfill packaging, call it what you may. And so the alternatives movement always starts at more expensive, more premium, and then it becomes more mass market. So that's how you position a sort of a challenger like ourselves to the to the incumbent is our products are not going to crumble in your hand. Our products have a value which will encourage you to return it to a drop point. Otherwise, you will get charged for it. It changes the behavior naturally. So it gets rid of the issue of polluting because if I pollute, it's going to cost me the value of that product. And that product, because it's not a deposit system, it's not going to be attractive to somebody else to go and pick it up. And so we have a very, I would say, multi-tiered approach in how it all changes the landscape. It's it's fascinating when you start to design these things and you realize, oh, it, it, it gets rid of a lot of issues in one go. It gets rid of the waste and it gets rid of the pollution bit. And is there a, do you see your market being limited to, or not limited because it's a massive market, but do you see your market very much being in the sort of food to go sector? Because they know TerraCycler with their loop, they're focusing more on the grocery market where the packaging is then going, it's a longer supply chain because it then has to go back to the product manufacturers to get refilled at, at the site and then back through the retail network. Do you think that's a separate part of the business or do you think that's an interesting area as well? We talked earlier about the sort of 10 minute grocery stores. Maybe it's easier, weirdly, to do reuse in those er- in that sector. It isn't, no. So prepackaged is a total nightmare, actually. Prepackaged goods are 
requiring a very different set of requirements. Prepackaged means that the product is going to be sitting in there for a certain duration of time. It needs to retain its quality and value within this reusable container. I mean, this is wet and dry food, so they will have every product will have a different shelf life requirement, different moisture requirement, different barrier uh, safety requirement. The complexity around designing for products that are prepackaged is invariably painful. So we don't go there is a short answer. We don't go there because also for a number of reasons. The other reason is it requires currently a global supply chain. And that's fundamentally an issue because from a sustainability perspective, what you're doing is you're shipping dirty containers from one continent to another to be washed and sanitized. And then you're shipping them from a different continent to another one to be essentially refilled and then shipped it to another continent to be sold. So you're following the footprint of single-use packaging, but with reusable packaging, and you've increased the operating CO2 across that entire supply chain. And so you've invariably 10x your CO2 output by going to a prepackaged system where you're refilling with major multinational brands all over the world, and you're building a brand that absolutely is, you know, lying to consumers. So we didn't want to go down that route because it's not sustainable and it cannot be adjusted for another five to 10 years because these major brands will not have local dark refilling stations in every single city, which is what you require if you're moving into the prepackaged space. So we do not look at prepackaged for this very reason. It's quite logical. We look at quick service because it's takeaway and it doesn't require longevity of the food or beverage content in the product. It doesn't require that level of specification on us. And it has the highest amount of impact because ironically, it is that packaging that you see dispensed, dispersed, polluting everywhere in our streets because that is what consumers can consume on a daily basis is takeaway. So it's more tangible. It feels like an obvious place to start. Very interesting as well, because I hadn't really thought that actually what you're doing is if you're layering a more complicated, if you like, reusable packing infrastructure over global supply chains, then actually, what are you solving? And actually, it's the global supply chain is the issue. Very well put. Why do we need Club Zero for Net Zero? Right. So we have already half the amount of CO2 output. We use half the amount of CO2 to our incumbent, which is we've investigated number of incumbents. So it's your traditional paper and plastic lined packaging, but also your compostable packaging. And we already know that by simply switching to our model for any brand, for any multinational, for any retailer is immediately going to half the amount of CO2 that they consume across their packaging lines. Now, for a large volume business, that's significant. For a small volume business, that's not really significant. So we have a focus on volumes right now. We're looking at enormous scale. We have partnerships with the likes of Just Eat. We've just closed partnership with Nestle. For us, the vision is how do we get to that critical scale? Because that's really where we can bring the most impact and value for ourselves, for the planet, for the environment, but also for our stakeholders and our clients. So that's essential. Now, you're probably asking, well, why are you working with small cafes and independent restaurants and setting that up? This is in tandem. It's parallel. It also creates visibility of the brand. 
And it lets consumers kind of know this is how you use it. This is how you can involve yourself. I think that's really important because for a long time, we were doing very large volumes for big businesses and we couldn't send your average Joe to go and try our product. And I think what we realized off the back of that is we want people to realize that we exist, that this is a zero waste system and that we are implementing it at all scales currently. But yes, the highest value that we would have is at your 50,000 volumes a day. That's where we're going to reach to. What's the out of interest? What's the Nestle partnership? Have they have they got a food to go division? I mean, they're a huge company. I don't know. It's COP26. We've just launched this week. And they yes, this is out of home beverages on the go. So this is across Nescafe being that brand. Across all their stations, you'll find Club Zero nestled next to them. Where a paper cup previously existed across the COP extreme hangout zone, we've got Club Zero, zero waste system. Yeah. Fantastic. That is that makes perfect sense. So, Safi, what happened in your life that got you into sustainability? I mean, we sort of touched on the fact, I mean, it was lovely that you just came into this sector with a completely fresh approach and none of the baggage. How did you get into saving the planet? From a very young age, I was at four years old, my father had set up a dairy farm. And I I used to just find myself finding objects and making things as you did. This is pre screen time. And I've got this sort of mindset where I'm very orderly and I like to observe things to be in their right place. And I guess that's also probably the reason why I went on to become an architect is, you know, system thinking, putting things in the right place. And so I used to make these objects and I used to make fishing lines out of like rocks and sticks and plunge them into like streams and pull out plastic bags from the age of four and I used to find this super far and it was really disgusting because of you know this is, this is garbage this is you know stuff you shouldn't go near but I could recognize from that age that this is not where this thing belongs like this is not its home this is not where this piece of plastic bag should be and I think that's where the DNA the early environmentalist mindset started it's just it's those two things it's orderly and putting things in the right place and then recognizing when something is being harmful in an environment so that's that's i think where it started <laughs> it's so many people have sort of had their earliest memories of all of this or the early sort of fixing of the brain of just hanging out in the environment which i worry about schools and education at the moment that there isn't enough time hanging out pulling things out of streams and looking at creepy crawlies yeah and i think you can find that immensely fun just get them to you know the waste warriors that start school trips take them to you know the beaches and streams and in this sort of part of community efforts and work i think that's where it starts i think that's that's certainly what i would encourage digging around in the dirt there's no app for that there's no app for feeling sun between your toes so what would success look like for you and club zero and what do you think the biggest hurdle is to getting there I mean, logistics is always the hardest thing in the sense that you you want to create the volume and drive the volume across your, your network of locations and you want to ensure consumer awareness is there and appetite is there. So the next 12 months for us is to leverage our current partnerships and really provide this as a integrated, easy alternative that consumers can opt into when they walk into cafes, restaurants across London. We've started in the first city cluster, which is King's Cross. We are already working through other clusters as we speak. And so in 12 months' time, I will have seen this across London. um, And we'll be here building our partnerships with further into the bulk delivery orders as well, which is significant. So, you know, you're talking about 250 orders per go in any given day, as opposed to individual orders, which... 
are equally important. But, you know, when you start to compare the impact, you see the large volumes having more significant impact and easily more operationally manageable. So for me, that's it. Um, the challenges that I see happening are, you know, any startup, when you, uh, when you include new team members, your operational sort of stability goes down before it goes up. And so you, you constantly, you know, you're kind of going up and down in terms of productivity. But over the last 12 months, we really sort of tightened everything and brought it back together. And I think the challenges are always going to be about growing pains. Supply chains worries me a little bit, having global supply chains and having seen the impact of post-COVID on those. So reconsidering some of that activity is, you know, do we bring some of those things closer to home? Do we reevaluate that? Because we don't know how long these impacts are going to last. Is it two years? Is it six months? And that's difficult to know. So that's something on the horizon which we're keeping an eye on. And are you in uh, cities other than London or currently just in London? In London at the moment, pre-COVID, we had just launched in Palo Alto on the West Coast, which we paused for now. Our focus is to, with all the new products and brand and partnerships, is to build out London and then we'll look at an expansion, global city expansion in the next 12, after the next 12 months. Yeah, there's definitely plenty to do in London at the moment as everything comes back to life. And what would you like our listeners to do differently to help Club Zero succeed? Well, download Club Zero, find your nearest location, try it out, tell us what you think, tell us what we can do better, what you would like to, you know, next see. And if there are any locations that you think would be fantastic for this, just let us know. Um, we'd love to hear from people where we see ourselves very much work in progress all the time. There are many partnerships that we are lining up in the in the future. So we, we you know, we're conscious. There's lots and lots of different opportunities and consumers giving us that feedback is key. So yeah, Club Zero, find us on, on the App Store and the Play Store and reach out. So in the App Store, you just Club Zero, nothing else? Club Zero, that's it. Perfect. Great. Download the app. And in 2050, we should be, I'm going to be super optimistic, we will be at net zero by 2050. And you'll be a, a much wiser, older self. Looking back, what advice would you give yourself? I think you've just got to persevere. Uh, what I've learned from running a startup or a company, I'm sure you you know this, as a business owner, you just have to keep pushing all the time. You can't stop pushing. The moment you stop pushing, it's almost like you go backwards. So you've got to keep your foot on the pedal. You don't really wait for anybody. You don't wait for government. You don't wait for policy. You don't wait for businesses. You don't wait for anyone. And so that's definitely one thing I'll make sure I keep doing because sometimes it does become exhausting, right? It, you do need a bit of a break and you just you think, how, how much more have I got to give on this? But I think what I would try and do more of, which uh, if I was saying this to myself in 30 years time is enable others to do more of that as well. So you don't feel like it's all coming from one source, but try and ensure that that energy is is somehow permeating from an army of people that you can that you can put together. And I think you've got double difficulty here because you're you're launching you're you're building a new business, but you're also building a new model as well. So I think you'll be looking back, going, "I was right." <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, when I first started this, I was one of the pioneers in this space. So in 2015, as early as 2015, was when I came up with the entire concept and look at where we are now with their reuse companies everywhere. So I definitely think we're onto we're onto something pretty enormous. So it's exciting. It's a good time to be alive. It's great. And what's coming up that you are so what's coming up that you're most excited about? 
We are, in fact, raising. So there's some some news coming out next week. We've just opened our fundraising round. We want our community to earn a bit of Club Zero. It's going to be a public fundraise, and it means that people who feel like we're doing the right thing can actually earn a bit of us, which is great. That's my next little piece to do before Christmas, is to give that opportunity to, to customers and consumers out there. So keep a lookout on that news. And help for our listeners, are you listening to any cool podcasts at the moment? Are you whether you're a podcast listener or a book reader that you'd like to share? There's an amazing podcast, which is set up by Alana Weston, How to Lead a Sustainable Business. Alana Weston is the chairwoman of Selfridges Group. She actually invited me on to speak recently. So I am on the podcast, shameless plug. But I ended up listening to the entire season and it was just fantastic. And there's one by Christina Figueres, which I would highly recommend everyone to listen to because she's just dynamite. But she's also very clear in her messaging on what everyone needs to do. And I think I would recommend that, A, listen to the podcast entirety if you can. If you have a dog, it's easy. Just put a podcast on your dog or if you're commuting or something or the other. But um, very inspiring. Brilliant. We haven't heard that one before on the show, so I'm, I, I haven't heard that one. I'm definitely, I know Lana Weston, so definitely going to listen to that one. And I'm looking for new material at the moment, so perfect timing. And um, if you could ask people to do just one thing to help climate change, it's such a busy, I mean, it's great because, you know, we've been doing this, I've been doing this for 30 years and so we've been, I've been banging the drum for so long, but now there's sort of this tidal wave of opinion and action and people get confused. If you, if you could ask people to do just one thing to tackle climate change, what would your advice be? I mean, mine would be, you know, reduce your waste by 20%. Work out how you could, you know, just walk out of your supermarket or eat in or, you know, start something that's more on on the lines of returnable, reusable packaging. Just try and reduce it by 20%. That would be step one. And, And question how you could do that. I think that would be a nice, fun exercise for everyone. Well, we could leave leave the packaging at the supermarket. So it's been amazing having you on the podcast and learning about Club Zero. Before you go, we have a little thing we're building up, which is the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame. And we ask guests to leave one thing in our Hall of Fame. What would you leave? It doesn't have to be an item. It could be a person or a word. In the Hall of Fame. Gosh, I didn't even think of this one. What would I leave? So if somebody looked back at the Hall of Fame and... What they would want to see is probably an object that made no sense for our time. I'd love to leave something like a single-use paper cup or something so complex like a one of those terrible, I'm not going to name the business that makes it, but those cartons that has foil and plastic and cardboard, you know what I'm talking about. The idea that we made something so complex and with so many materials that was 100% not recyclable, that's what I would leave in the Hall of Fame as just an absolute utter joke of our time, that someone got away with making that and selling that. How did we ever have those things? Yeah, I love it. Brilliant, Safi. Before we wrap up, can you uh, just tell the listeners once again how they found the app and your website so everybody knows where to find Club Zero? Yeah, I mean, head over to clubzero.co. That's our website. You can get directed to download and start using it and become a member. Um, It's free. So, you know, have fun with that. You get points and discounts. And then if you are listening and you have a restaurant or cafe, then you can sign up to become a host and um, just ping us the details on the form on the website. And off you go. And um, we'll do our best to make sure we, we circle back to you as quickly as possible. 
Brilliant. Safi, it's been fantastic learning about Club Zero and uh, super having you as a guest on Zero Five O. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having us. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet remarkable people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zero Five O. Zero five o.